This is the Athletic Hockey Show. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Tuesday show. It's the Athletic Hockey Show. Craig is gone. Thank God I needed a break. He'd been bothering me for weeks. Enjoy the NFL Combine. I'll be there for a couple more days. Major, major upgrade here. We have Shana Goldman in the house taking over for Craig this week. Shana is taking time off from writing half of the website, I think, at the <laughs> moment. Like, is that... Is that is that what your assignment was has been for for the last two weeks? And that when, when I was like, when I was going through stuff yesterday, and I saw you pop up on a piece with Jeremy Rutherford exploring like non Timo Meyer options for the Blues. That's when I was like, oh my god, someone someone needs to she needs to take a break. I felt bad about <laughs> asking you to do this, but here we are. No, I'm doing a good job at managing my workload this year somehow. Like I actually feel like I am. It's just every story I have planned has been like shifted. I keep punting things. I think I've punted one story four times now, and it's fine. That's why today isn't a hockey podcast. We're actually, you know, Craig's not here to say no. It's a wrestling t- podcast today. This is fine. We can we can talk about we got we got the AEW pay per view coming up on <laughs> Saturday. We can just we can just go deep on that because yeah, God exactly. knows this is gonna the the concern here, and we're gonna try to guard against this, is that if we go too far into any individual players that they're traded the moment we finish the record and send our audio off to Jeff. So with that in mind, uh, we are going to talk about individual players <laughs> because we'll, because because what what the hell else can we do? The uh, the new updated trade board is up on the site. That's work. It's done it's done by Russo, it's done by Eric Dehatchik. It's there's a couple other couple other folks involved there. I'm forgetting forgetting exactly who. It's Russo and Dehatchik mainly though. Um and they needed to just do like a total overhaul after after the last weekend, right? Because the big moves have already have already started. The dominoes have already started to fall. Um, so we'll get in. We'll get into the board. We'll talk about some players who hopefully don't get traded in the next uh, forty eight hours. Uh, but first, I Shana, with, with you, I just want to go over what's happened over the last few days. Like we've the the dust from Sunday settled, um, and on Tuesday morning, as we sit here. Like, what are your thoughts on the folks who've won the last 72 hours, right? Was it with some time to think about it, with some time to think about the Janot trade and Meyer and all this stuff we saw over the last three days? Who do you think has, has actually uh, improved themselves the most over, over the last couple of days? Everyone not in the Western Conference. Mm-hmm. They're asleep. Right. <laughs> Wake up, West. Let's get moving. Like, only Dedenov and, and Nino are like the only Western trade so far. Everyone else is like, yeah, we'll wait. We'll see what's left over after the East. I totally thought on Sunday morning, whenever Vegas, whenever Vegas made their move, and whenever Winnipeg, you know, Winnipeg had, had already traded for Nino, I thought that maybe that was priming the pump for one of those Western teams to really get in on Meyer, right? And that lasted for a couple hours. Yeah, um, and everyone's like, "No, we're we're actually good. We don't want to match that price. We're fine here." Everyone's <laughs> just like, no, and the wild they're out here being like, "No, we're just going to stop players from going to the West. We're not going to bring anyone here ourselves. I we're love just it. Stop. Me too. Why not? They have one. They can do that one more time. By the way, they can. Re- they have the ability if if Bill Guerin so chooses. 
they can take on one more retention spot and stop a good player <laughs> from heading to the Western Conference one more time over the next over the next few days. That's a that's an interesting uh, interesting approach. Let's talk about Meyer because obviously the Devils are, are kind of an area of focus for you, um, and you wrote about him extensively as as did all of us on Sunday, like all hands on deck for the Timo Meyer spectacular. Like how much Timo Meyer content content can you can you handle? Um, is there any team? Do you think he should have ended up somewhere else? Who's the other team that should have looked at that price tag and said, like, all right, we can actually do this. We can send we can send back two firsts and you know a, a s- solid but not like super s tier prospect like who who out there outside of the devils would you rather would, would you like to have seen maybe get in on, on the betting i think that vegas should have pushed harder but i'm sure there was like an extra tax because it's vegas and division opponent and i just looked yep. at their roster and i'm underwhelmed but it's st louis and detroit for me that surprised me like st louis has all these assets and i wonder now if they're like you know what? we're gonna offer sheet them this summer it's it's totally fine do whatever you want we can just spice things up in the future they have mm-hmm. the first to do it so that would be kind of intriguing but like i don't know i really like the idea of detroit jumping in here they have the cap space they have the assets they're going for it and he's not a rental like he makes a ton of sense for them i just wanted to see i have no problem with him being in new jersey let me start with sure. that i'm gonna sure. watch a lot of this team anyway now they're more fun so that's good for me i i've watched a lot a lot of yeah that's hockey. it's a it's 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 a good deal for everybody whether yeah. whether you're a devil's fan or not to have timo meyer potentially riding shotgun with jack hughes or nico he they can like by the way fight it out for him which is hilarious i i, I love that the the idea of those guys like you know <laughs> where 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 does he end up and with whom so that's great i'm i'm not i'm not uh, the implication isn't like that we're upset that yeah. he ended up in new jersey but the the price is is what makes you wonder yep like, couldn't somebody have beaten this? Couldn't one of these other teams, you know, have, have, have offered something that was a little bit more appealing to Mike Greer? And maybe, maybe not. But yeah, I, so that's, 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 that's really the question. I, lo- I love the idea of Detroit. Those are, that's a, that's a fun one. Yeah. Um, they have the potential to spice it up. I feel like Detroit, Buffalo, Seattle, like they're like the sneaky teams. I'm waiting for them to do something. Buffalo is always the one. I, I said it like, it was like I was just trying to I was trying to manifest that Same. I feel like in in like in in December. Imagine like Dylan make, Cousins. make this happen because he he fits the time frame right. They have God knows they have the cap space even though they do have to worry about you know getting you know, the the jump that's going to take place for them over, over the next couple of years but they they have the cap space they have the right time frame and they and they have the assets to to send back so yeah I've. I was I was on that train around the holidays. I was, and it never. I feel like it, it never really picked up steam. Like they yeah. never made it into that that group of five or six teams that Winnipeg kind of snuck into at the end uh, to to really make a run at them. So it's disappointing. Yeah, I mean, like Cousins plus Meyer going opposite Skinner and Tage. Like that's a show we all need. The only thing <laughs> that I would say would hold back the Sabers is it does feel like they kind of have like an internal cap for their forwards. Like no yeah. one makes more than yeah. eight million except for. Skinner, which this general mm-hmm. manager didn't sign, so they were like, "Well, it's not going to make sense for us." But I, like, if you can get Timo Meyer, go for it. He's young enough. He's good enough. <laughs> He'd be fun enough. And I get, you know, I, I get the the idea of internal caps, and I get internal valuations on, you know, the assets that you send back, and you know, there's a there's a lot of emphasis put on, you know, time frames and whatever, like totally. But just from a personal, I think that's why I love him on the devil so much because I'm all in on just. You know, win games while you can. 
Don't yeah. take this stuff for granted. Don't take a young core, whether it's Jack Hughes and Nico Heischer, whether it's Tage Thompson and Dylan Cousins and, you know, and, and Rasmus Dell, like whatever. Don't like go all in. And the fact that we did ultimately see one team do that is, uh, it's a positive thing. We need, we need more teams going for it. <laughs> we can't, uh, we, we need less teams that are, that are content contending for wild cards and, you know, playing around at the playoffs and collecting some revenue there. Like, Go all in. Chips to the middle of the table. So. Yeah. Um. And what is there? I, I. So whatever. That's the that's the top line move. That's the one that everybody's been talking about for a few days. Is there any of the other like secondary secondary trades we've seen over the last three days or the last week or so that you think were maybe sh- particularly shrewd on on either end? I think the Predators really did amazing in the Tanner Janot deal, and that kind of helps because I think they got such an underwhelming return for Nina Ryder, like. A second round pick for someone who's not a rental, who's very good. Like, I don't know. I think that was really bad on the Predators end. But to get five draft picks plus Kyle <laughs> Foot for a player that has five goals, that that is it's it's something else really from yeah. Nashville managing that. And for Tampa, it's so interesting because of the way Julian Breesbaugh phrased it. Like these draft picks. They don't help us right now. They're not going to mm-hmm. help us with this core. They're not going to help us right now. The player we draft is not going to be good by the time like we're still contending. I fully, wholeheartedly agree. I think he's so spot on, right? He needs to do whatever for this core. You're 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 about to just totally, you know, e- echo the echo my thoughts. We're on the same page with this. Yeah. Absolutely. Keep keep but going. <laughs> when you trade out these later picks, those picks are not going to be the, like right now where if you are the Lightning and your pick for this year is probably going to be, your, you're hoping, 30 to 32, same value as a second round pick, really. Doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Sure, sell those. But now you're starting to go those years out. Your core is going to age. Those picks could be valuable to you, or they might be the piece that helps you extend your window. And mm-hmm. it's just like, did you use them in the right way this time? You're right to sell your picks. You have no reason for them. And you're fine just having this window and dealing with the aftermath later. Tarantino, who at his best, even if he thrives there, and I think he will, is going to be a second or third liner, like, a little odd. Is that the right player to sell? Like, the conceptually, it's great. The process is fantastic. We just, got we just spent two minutes talking about, like, yes, try to win. That sounds basic and boring almost, right? But there aren't enough teams doing it. There still aren't. So to see the lightning, to say like, this is all that matters. All that matters is the next few years. To see Julian Breezeboy say like a, a pick in 2025 that's going to get there in three years. Like who cares, right? You make hay while the sun shines if, if you're Tampa Bay. Like I'm conceptually just totally, totally on board with it. The fact that it was Janot is where, is what should give people pause. And that's what makes it a more easily questionable move by a front office that has seen, in fairness, to, obviously in fairness to Julian Brisebois, the times they've done this in the past have worked. Like we're like, look how how good his Brandon Hagel been this year, yeah. right? Like it, it was maybe a little, there was a little bit of an adjustment period last season uh, for him after they acquired him from the Blackhawks, but he's been fantastic, right? So I get wanting to get you give Tampa the benefit of the doubt always 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 because you don't win two cups by accident and Julian Brazois is, is a smart is a smart dude and I trust that they know that on some level Tanner Janot is going to work in, in in their system and he's going to bring something that they need. Also by the way not for nothing that deal comes after you know after the Meyer deal after that whole run of 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 deals on on Sunday night 
and after uh, they lose to the Penguins in, in in kind of a bizarre a bizarre game. So I, I don't think the timing there was was totally a, was totally a shocker. Um, but man, it's hard to believe, even though Tanner Juno is like he he has the size and he fights and he does stuff that we don't see from from that many guys. It's hard to believe that there that there wasn't a similarly effective middle six player who's going to be cheap for the next couple of years that you could have thrown that 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 amount of picks at, right? Like there yeah. there there had there had to be someone else out there where they could have kept some of those kept some of those picks they sent out for him and used it to acquire another guy, right? So yeah, it's one trade that you're using five picks. Everything, on. yeah, like that's that's a different. Like you look at contenders, should they spend their first round picks? Should they spend their picks? Absolutely, you should. The Maple Leafs are doing it right now too, mm-hmm. and they have like no picks over the next three years. But they got four players for it. You got one player, and yes, he's a year. You're getting two playoff runs out of him, ideally, similar to Coleman, similar to Barkley mm-hmm. Joe. And both those moves at the time, I think most of us said overpayment. Will this deal be amazing, and we're going to forget about it when they're you know crushing in the playoffs? Absolutely. But it doesn't change the fact that at the time of the trade, and even after, you could still look at it and go overpayment. Five picks for one player, and like maybe they're saying, well, he's going to replace Kalorn internally because we can't afford his next contract. So that's second line potential, good scorer. You know, he's better than he was in Nashville. All of that's true, but five picks for a secondary player is what it's going to boil down to every day of the week, even if he's the best secondary player out there. You could have paid mm-hmm. more to have someone retain salary. Mm-hmm. Instead, you just went, no, well, he's cheap. He's big. Yep. Love the process. The results are. The results are, uh, they're, they're going to be into, like, God, again, said it, said it before, I'll say it again, like, God bless Tampa for, for making this interesting and, you know, giving us something to talk about. And also, that, that that's a compelling story, not just this season, but for the next few, is what happens with Tanner Janelle, right? Like, that's right. And how long- do they get picks back? Do they sell, pl- like, they've been pretty good, like, Ryan McDonough knowing when to trade and when his value yep. is going to start sinking. Can they get the picks back? And can they do it with players who maybe they're a little bit, there's a little bit more, uh, a little bit more personally tied to a little bit more skin in the game than Ryan McDonough, right? Because Ryan, yep. Ryan McDonough, great as he was in those teams, he wasn't drafted and developed by, by the by the Lightning. He was he was a Ranger, and that roster is stacked with guys who there are who who have deeper emotional ties with the people who built that team, and with the city and with the franchise and all that stuff. So it'll be interesting to see if there's quick to pull the trigger on selling guys before the, their value starts to crater when it's, you know, somebody other than Ryan McDonough, maybe. Yeah. Like um, Tyler Johnson's value was gone by the time they moved him. Sure. They couldn't get a buyer sooner, but maybe it's because they waited too long. Gore, they got nothing for, but they wanted him yep. for the playoff runs at the end. So it's like, yep. it's a tricky, it's a slippery slope. Like you have to manage that better than everyone else. We don't need to spend a lot of time in this because God knows the Leafs report did and <laughs> you know, whatever. Your favorite what? team. Oh, just the the bane the bane of my existence. Good for business, though. I'll tell you that much. I'll take it. <laughs> what do you think of the Leafs trade? Uh, they added Jake McCabe and Sam Lafferty for you know essentially a first a first and second round pick. Uh, you did not have to worry about the trade grade on that, so I'd like I'd like to get your take on that one. Yeah, I was very busy. Couldn't do it. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Jeremy Rutherford. Okay. No, blame the Janot story. That one I think is the Janot uh-huh. story. And that was Ian's idea for me to write. So blame him fully. <laughs> That's Denemy's fault. Hope, um, hope you're listening. So 
I've been called a Leafs fan recently too. Like I'm, I'm in yeah, the same boat as you. People think that like I'm like Dom's mouthpiece and cheering on the <laughs> Leafs. So, um, sorry, but I'm going to say something pro Leafs here. Uh, I, know. I like the trade. I don't think you should be packaging up assets ever because I feel like you just lose value. And we start with like Orlov Hathaway too. Like, yep. Washington should have gotten more, and I think the same is true here. Other teams are going to pay up for Lafferty because he's been scoring recently and because he's super cheap, and you can use him as like a versatile bottom six guy, which everybody loves since Tampa won because of them, even though they won because they had a really good core. We can say that Boston should have gotten more for for Orla, or uh, that the Caps should have gotten more for Orlov. And, Absolutely. In Hathaway, it's true, but Chicago got even less. <laughs> For 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 McCabe for McCabe and in in, uh, in in Lafferty and Lafferty is not the player that Hathaway is, but I think you could argue, given the contract situation, that McCabe is more valuable than Orlov is because Orlov Orlov's a rental and they they have yeah. McCabe for two years after this at two million dollars, right? Yeah, like I think Orlov's a way better defenseman than McCabe, and it's because yeah. he's a little less passive and he's really good at moving the puck. But like Jake mm-hmm. McCabe's cheap, and everyone always overspends on these defensive defensemen, and it's like here's one at. 50% yep. salary who can actually handle those minutes and not just sit there absorbing shots against yep. not doing anything to push the pace of play. Like he's a good, pretty one dimensional defenseman. Like he's he is, good at his he job. is what people, he is, he is, he profiles as the player that he, his profile is affixed to so many players just inaccurately and incorrectly. Right. Where people say, Oh, such and such is a, is a good defensive defenseman because he, doesn't provide anything <laughs> offensively like those are the two binaries there where it's like you're either good at offense or good at defense and that's that's not necessarily true but yeah. in McCabe's case it is yeah if you take a lot of minutes if you block a lot of shots if you hit a lot you're a good defensive defenseman when you're just rea- you don't have the puck if you're blocking shots you don't have the puck if you're hitting you probably don't have the puck either and you're trying to figure out ways to get it back and you didn't stop the play from developing in the first place you didn't have good gap control you didn't you know, uh, protect the blue line. You didn't make a stick play. You have to chase around the player with the puck afterwards or just throw your body in front of it to stop the damage. Like you can be good and be physical and play that way, but like, that's not the way the game should be played anymore. And that's not how we should be talking about defense, but literally no one knows how to evaluate defense. So it's not surprising the Leafs, a team that's a little bit more innovative and yes, has a ton of nerds working for them, finds the actually good defensive defenseman to invest in and gets it for less than what someone like Sherratt went for or someone like Gavrikov yep. almost went for. And like credit to the we'll Bruins too. Them too. They, yep. They're they not the most traditional front office anymore. They have some really smart minds in there that could have been like, hey, Orlov is 10 times the player that Gavrikov is. If he's ready, jump at that. I think it's similar too when you look at when you look at Hathaway, right? Because everybody is like, this is a Boston Bruins type of player. He's big and a banger and top 10 and hits and and whatever and all that's true that's the kind of player that we've come to expect the Bruins go after to go after for generations and here we are again right but at this point in 2023 he is the best possible version of that player the fourth line banger who can who can who can uh you know throw the body and and be physical and also get like chipping some goals and not not kill you on on run of play stuff right like he is he feels he feels like an old school need, but does it you know in in a way with a focus on on the stuff that makes hockey teams good in twenty twenty three. So yeah, I, I think that's I think that's an interesting point. You know, these teams went out and got older archetypes with kind of a new a newer twist on them. That's a really um, good way to put it. I like that a lot. Thanks, thanks very much. Yeah, you should be a writer. Yeah, <laughs> definitely shouldn't be a talker. Good God, <laughs> I don't know why everybody's listening to this. 
I, I want to, okay, so I, I want to go back to the Leafs though for a second because I wanted to ask you Cause to you answer. Yes. Because I love the Leafs so much. Do you think that Toronto's assets, speci- uh, you know, the, that first round pick and that second round pick and the cap space that they ended up uh, using on McCabe and Lafferty, do you think that c- should have been used on more, on, on some more scoring punch for maybe that, that third line? Like, is, is, was this the best use of their assets for, for this particular team? I think they probably they could have seen that they could get Lafferty for so cheap and they were like, sure, let's go for this. I still think, but that's a need. I, mm-hmm. If I'm them, I am moving one more player out, getting a couple assets back and now flipping those for that third line role. I think that's something that they like legitimately need. We see it. They're one of the best offensive generators. That's totally true. You still have to finish your chances. And if you don't have players capable of that in your third line, that's a problem. And with O'Reilly... I imagine he's not going to be on the second line forever. We kind of heard as much. He's probably going to play the third line. He's a really good playmaker. His problem in St. Louis, didn't have people to finish his chances. He goes on that third line right now, might be the same problem. He's not going to have Mitch Marner and John Ferris or Willie Nylander. Like, you got to do something, I think. So who moves? I mean, I'd be curious if they could kind of make like a cap dump deal with someone like, I keep looking at Kerfoot. He's the one for me Mm -hmm. that I'm like, do you move him? try to get a third back and then flip him for someone, you know, that could actually add a little pop to your third line. Like that would be really smart. Love it. Verana. <laughs> Jacob Verana. Toronto All about it. Imagine Verana, who we worry about his defense with O'Reilly <sighs> you know, in a third line role. Like that would be really good. Ugh, see, I feel like we're speaking this into existence. Yeah. Trying. <laughs> don't like, don't like it at all. We're going to save the trade board discussion for the third segment. We can, we can just knock that out there. We can cherry pick some names that we like. Hopefully none of them are gone by the time we're, we're, we, finish up, uh, we, we finish up recording here, but we'll do our best. In the meantime, I didn't even introduce our guest on the, at, at the top of the show. We have Kings goaltender Phoenix Copley. Uh, we recorded this yesterday. Really smart, thoughtful guy. He was uh, very willing to nerd out with me and... With, with with me and Shane on some on some questions there just some some goalie nerd questions some evaluation questions and I thought you did a good job and uh, and and provided a lot there so enjoy Phoenix Copley and we'll be back at the end of the show for the trade board discussion. We are thrilled to be joined by LA Kings goalie proud Alaskan Phoenix Copley greetings to you in uh, sunny or no snowy Southern California. Is that still happening down there? Uh, I'm actually we're on the road right now in Winnipeg. Oh so God, that's right. You're in Winnipeg. Well, you're <laughs> we're, we're, we got the snow here, but uh, yeah, I heard it's the weather there has been kind of crazy <laughs> since we left. Yeah. You brought it with you, I guess. Um, yeah. <laughs> I was going to ask about the trade deadline and how this time, of, this time of year, you know, given the way your situation changed is, is different, but, it's not just about the deadline. Uh, lots, a lot's changed from lots changed for you year over year. So, how how are things different, and what have the last couple months been like? I know it's a big question, but I mean, you you, you look where you've been in the past. It's pretty pretty strong one eighty for you. Yeah. So, I mean, as far as the deadline, that like what happens at the deadlines, I just kind of chalk that up as out of my control. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, I try not to really think about that too much, but. Um, and then, you know, yeah, this, this year is kind of an unpredictable circumstances and how it's played out. I, the last few years, um, I've been trying to earn an NHL opportunity and it just, it 
it wasn't really happening. And so, um, I signed with a different organization this summer and my goal is just to kind of put myself in a good spot and try and, um, earn, earn an opportunity and, um, and then be ready whenever the opportunity came. And so, um, fortunately it came this year and I've been able to just kind of, you know, um, do my best to make the most of it. And, um, yeah, so it's been, uh, uh, I'm fortunate to, to be with this organization and, and an organization that's so, uh, driven to win. Um, so yeah, I'm just kind of, every time they give me an opportunity to play, I want to do my best to, to give the team a chance to win. And, and that's just, that's been my outlook on it since the start. Is this what you expected when you signed with the Kings? And I know, I know there were some, you know, unexpected moves maybe early in the season with them, but when, when you were picking your destination, you know, in, in the off season, is this, is this how you saw it painting out? Um, I mean, not exactly. It's hard to predict mm-hmm. these kind of things. I just wanted to pick an organization where I felt like I could earn an opportunity and I'd heard a lot of good things about the staff here and the goalie coaches, both in the American league with Maddie Miller. And then with obviously with Billy Ranford here, um, I heard a lot of good things about those guys. And so I felt like regardless of where I was, I would be able to keep improving my game. Um, so it just seemed like a good fit for me to try and put myself in a good spot to play. So how difficult is it for you to acclimate to a new team, to a new system, you know, especially if you go from AHL to NHL or from team to team, like how, what are the challenges for any goalie in that case? Um, yeah, it's kind of different going into a whole new organization. I, I had been traded once before, so I was in the Capitals organization. I was in that organization for a long time and then I was traded after my first year and then traded back to Washington a year later. So it's kind of an interesting, uh, turn of events there, but it was nice to kind of get that opportunity to go to another organization, kind of see what that's like. So I kind of had a little bit of an idea of, you know, going to an organization. It's just kind of, you know, you start from, from scratch and getting to know the guys, getting to know the staff, just getting comfortable with how things are done in the new organization. That's kind of, um, the, I guess we're, we're, the first thing is, is just getting kind of comfortable there. And so that was kind of what I was doing in training camp and um, getting to know the guys and, and seeing how things are done. And then um, mid season when, when that, when it happens, like when you get called up, you're usually pretty familiar with guys because training camp, you know, you're, you're spending time with them. And, and as a goalie, um, you know, I, you're kind of, you're familiar with the goalie coaches, both in the American league and NHL. So that's not such a big jump. Um, so it's really just kind of, you know, getting in the group with, with the team and um, and getting in the group with the schedule because the, a, a big difference is the American League schedule is a lot more weekend games and it's a little different in that regard where the NHL is just, it's like every other day you're playing. So mm-hmm. um, that was kind of an adjustment in getting used to the different schedule. I'm sure we'll ask about the workload in, in a minute, but I did want to ask about Bill Ranford. You mentioned him specifically. Is there, you know, as a, as kind of a, motivating factor for you, for you to sign with the organization. What is it about him? Like, is there, is there anything in particular where, where you saw him, you know, in the run up when you're making the decision stuff you've heard, whatever, where you're like, okay, that's a guy, that's a guy I want to align myself with. That's a guy I want to work with. Well, obviously his resume as a goalie kind of speaks for itself. He, he had a, a outstanding career in the NHL. So, um, and then just kind of his, his demeanor, you know, he's, he's, he has that experience. He's been through, obviously tons of ups and downs with his own career and then, and then as a coach. So he's, he just has like a calming effect, I think where, um, you know, it's, it's just nice to be around that. And he kind of, his coaching style is kind of, he, he lets us kind of work through some things and he gives us what 
we need with video and, and reviewing games. And then we kind of get to, you know, work through some stuff that we want to get better at ourselves and, um, and it'll set up the drills, drills, obviously, but we can kind of, um, work through some stuff ourselves, which I think is, it, yeah, I think it's, it's nice for me personally. I'm always trying to improve certain things. And so it's nice to have that where it just gives us this space. But I think the biggest thing with him is just his, his presence, his experience. Um, so how much do you work with a goalie coach versus the head coach? Like how much on a daily basis do you communicate, you know, about your game with the head coach versus who's starting and who isn't? I think that that's probably something that's is different per organization here. I think it's, it's mostly through Billy. Billy is, is kind of our, who we communicate through. And then he's the one that we're going through game tape with and in practice, um, if we want to work on something, he'll help us set up a drill. So it's, it's mostly through Billy. How, how has the dynamic with Jonathan quick been? I, I think I know what your answer is going to be there, but I mean, he's, <laughs> you know, he's, his, his resume speaks for itself. He had a huge win tied Tom Brasso a few days ago, but what's it, what's it been like working with him and how is, how is stuff uh, unfolded with you, you, you two over the last couple months? Yeah. Quick. He's been awesome. He's been an unbelievable teammate. Um, he's another one of those guys who he's, he's had such a long career. He's been through, so many uh, like glorious moments as a goalie. He's he's got a great resume, so it's cool to be around that and see how he carries himself. And um, and yeah, like I said, he's been a great teammate. And um, you know, guys that play for so long, there's always stuff you can learn from them. So I'm always trying to pick up different things. Like he's been in the NHL for so long. There's a reason why he's been in the NHL for so long. So um, you know, I, I just try and learn from him and. Um, and he's been super supportive and help, helpful for me. So that's been awesome to be his partner. What kind of stuff have you learned from him? Because I know, you know, not not a lot of guys stylistically are like him. I, I, I know there's some differences between between he and you there. But what what can you draw from him? Is it is it you know is it uh, like load management or like what's the what's the biggest thing he brings to the table in term, terms of the advice you seek from him day in and day out? Yeah, he's he's another guy who has a good presence. Um, you know, he's an older guy who who you know, it's kind of steady as you go. It's not, you know, nothing too high, nothing too low. So I think, like you said, we don't play really the same. So, you know, there's, there's certain things I can learn from him, um, goaltending wise, but I feel like it's more, um, mental stuff that, that I learned from, from quickie, but, um, yeah, no one really plays like quickie. He's, he's got his own style and, and he's, he's had, you know, I, I watched him growing up and, um, he's always had that, explosive you know he makes huge saves that only quick he can make do you ever remind him that you watched him growing up <laughs> i don't think i've ever told him that but i remember uh their first playoff run i was in alaska i remember that one against new york and that was, that was cool yeah i was just gonna ask that same thing do you ever remind him so you know, there's going to be other goalie, other goalies coming up the ranks who are going to say the same thing. They watched Quick growing up. Do you think that any goalies are going to start trending towards his game, or are there other trends you think stylistically we're going to start seeing in the next couple of years from goalies? That's a good question. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like it's kind of unpredictable. If if if, I, if someone knew like where goaltending was going, they would they would be uh, at the cutting edge. I think watching young guys, watching World Juniors, that's kind of where the game is going, how those guys are playing. That's kind of where, where, where it's going. And it, um, so, but you know, there's always outliers. There's guys who play their own style. I mean, Marty Broder played into his forties and he never changed his style. So, um, and it seemed to work for him the whole time. So it's kind of, Golting is one of those things where 
everyone kind of has their own style a little bit and everyone has what works for them. And, um, you know, you can always build on it, but if you stray from your own game too much, then, you know, it's, you're going to be forcing things. So quilting is a very unique position, I think, in that regard. So it's hard to predict where it's going, but I think if you want to get a, a glimpse at it, it's probably watching the guys, the top guys in world juniors. What kind of stuff are they doing? Like, uh, cause I'd love to hear it from you. I mean, you, you, you know, more watching this stuff than we do. Like when, <laughs> I mean, when, when, you, when you, when you watch those okay. young guys, like what are they, like, what's the, what are the differentiation points? Their edges, they have great edges. They're, um, they play with control. Um, you know, that's the kind of thing that, that's the kind of things that I see. There's, um, you know, positionally they're really well cause, cause forwards are, they're getting so much better at changing the angles, making plays and stuff. So, not playing too, you know, managing depth has been a, a big thing that, that I see. Um, yeah, I think those are probably the things that I've noticed the most. Why do you think we are all so bad at analyzing goaltending? <laughs> I mean, the dad is weak. What we talk about, we've got, the goalie's big. He's, you know, if we're talking, he's weak, high blocker side. It's like we're reinventing the wheel. What, like, how do we evaluate goalies? How should we? Please, 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 no, no, please, please tell um, us. Yeah, please, we, make us better. I'm not a scout. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think it's because it is kind of individual. You know, like I was saying, guys have things that work for them. Um, I, we were talking about Quickie earlier. He's a guy who he plays his own stuff. No one really plays like Quickie. Marty Broder, like I was saying earlier, he's got, he had his style that no one could replicate. So I think it's, um, and you, you from the very beginning of when you're a goalie, a young kid, you're probably developing your style as you go. So it's kind of, it's kind of an art form, I guess, where, you know, you have your style and, and you kind of take bits and pieces from guys you see or guys you play with. And, and, uh, it's not so cookie cutter. It's not like, it's not like a one size fits all. Like you're a butterfly goalie, you're a stand up goalie. It's not really like that. There's different elements and, and, you know, some guys read shots better. Some guys, you know, make lateral plays better. Some guys have stronger edges. It's just how you blend all that together and, and different guys blend it together in different ratios. So, you know, no two goaltenders are ever going to be the same. And, and maybe that's why it's so hard if you're trying to just make it a black and white scouting report. Really, it's not really like that. There's a lot more elements mm-hmm. that go into it. And that's just kind of the, the physical stuff that you see. Then there's the mental side of it that you know, that's just as complex probably. When the Kings called you up in December, uh, you had, I'm sure you had a sense like, all right, this is an opportunity for me. Like it, it felt like the net was open. How did you balance that with your actual play? Because you got off, you, you got off to a hot start, you nine and one in your first 10 games, you're whatever, one, one goal start to, to, to kick things off. Um, how did you balance like the, the idea that, this was the opportunity you're looking for. This was, you know, kind of a, an, an audition, an, an audition shot there with, with, you know, actually performing. Cause that's a tough, that's a tough balance to strike. If I'm, I'm sure your, your, your eyes could have gotten big if, if, if you approach it a little differently. Yeah. I, I, I try and always just take this one game at a time. I think too much the, you know, what's going on in the situation, whether it's good or bad. Because, you know, things can snowball in, in the wrong direction. If you, if you're, you know, too much about the bigger picture, it's kind of what's going on in, in that moment and, and rolling with that. So, um, yeah, I, when I got called up, I, I had known, you know, 
I didn't know if I was going to play at all, but I just knew there may be an opportunity. So I just wanted to keep preparing for myself for the opportunity. And that's kind of just been my MO for the last couple of years um, on a day-to-day basis, just come to the rink and continue to get better and continue to uh, try and create opportunities and take advantage of opportunities that I can. So you're approaching, you know, your heaviest workload yet in terms of games played at the NHL level. Is there anything you've changed about your routine this year versus years past to like manage that a little bit differently and, you know, deal with fatigue if that's a problem more than years past? I think uh, it has been kind of over the past few years for me learning to manage the workload and practice. And that's um, something I'm, I'm, you know, I've taken that I've stuff I've learned the last few years into this year and, and having someone like Billy Ranford and, and seeing Quickie as well, how, how they handle things. And, and Billy's been, been good with, um, you know, reminding me at times, you know, you don't need to stay out after practice and take a bunch of shots. Mm. You know, it's, um, when you're playing a lot, it's something to be cognizant of, um, not getting too much practice time where it'll cause fatigue. So, um, but that's just been something that, that I've been aware of. Um, it hasn't really been a huge change because like I said, I've been, I've been trying to, um, work, work that into my practice time and, and games, um, the management of, of my workload. So, um, it's just been something I've continued to learn with and grow. Um, do you have a preference of like game play in front of you? Are you a goaltender that prefers maybe a more low event game that you're facing fewer shots, but the more challenging shots, or are you someone who prefers, does it help you to be busy with just facing, you know, a high number of shots, even if they're not the best quality? Um, I like a challenge. I like, I like facing the other team's top players, but I don't really think too much. I've never really thought about that because it's kind of something, you know, I just have to play the game that's in front of me. I can't really wish that I'm going to have a certain game a certain way because it never really pans out as you think. So, um, I, I, I like the challenge. I always, I always tell myself that, you know, I want to face the other team's best players and in their best situation. So that's how I can test myself to see how good I am. Um, so I'm always prepared for that, but, um, I'm not really thinking about what kind of game is going to be. I mean, I'm just preparing for, for, for any situation that can be difficult for me and whatever happens happens. Is there a trick to being a good teammate as a goalie? Cause I, I've, I've seen, I've seen a, lo- <laughs> a lot of the guys you play with, you know, hold you in a high regard there. Is that, is there, <laughs> do you, is there like, is there some fairy dust that you have that, <laughs> that, that helps down? Cause, cause honestly it, it, it seems like it's like the, the guys gas you up on, on that, on that front a lot. Is, is there any, you know, how how do, how does that work when you when you are kind of separate from from a from, from the skaters, whether it's in coaching or or, or whatever? Is it is there any is there any like tricks there that that you figured out? Um, I mean, I just want to be a good teammate, whether I'm playing or not. I want to support the team, and and I love winning. You know, regardless of if, if I'm in net or not, I want to be a part of a winning team. So, um, you know, that that's great to hear that that guys have said that, but yeah, I think maybe, maybe that's why. And, and, um, you know, in, in practice, I, I like to, to be a part of a challenge. So I'm always battling in drills. Um, I, I think maybe that could be possibly a reason why, but I've also, I've, I've played with great teammates and I've played with a lot of good teams. So, um, I'm fortunate in that regard, but yeah, like I said, I just, I just want to do what I can to be a, a part of a winning team. 
the group you guys the group you guys had in Hershey a couple of, uh, over those years with the Caps. It was at one point it was you and Benichek and Grubauer. I mean, you guys you guys are it's a pipeline for start for starting goaltenders. If you look at like whatever the the Hershey Bears in twenty fifteen or sixteen are there those guys those guys you keep in touch with or like how how do you how do you look back on on that on those groups that you were with uh, a few years back? Yeah, I've been very fortunate in my whole career. I've played with a lot of really good goalies. My first year with Groovy, and then I was with Bennington, uh, Huso in Chicago. Um, I've been with Vanacek for quite a while in Hershey. Uh, Fukali in Hershey, who's another great goalie. Um, so I've been I've been really fortunate with, with my goalie partners. Um, I've been able to learn a lot from them, and I feel like I've always had a great relationship with them. So that's something that's definitely helped me in my career, um, just kind of learning from those guys, uh, working with those guys. Um, but yeah, I think it also speaks the, the guys in Hershey or speaks to the goalie coaches there, Alex mm-hmm. Westland. Um, he's now with Detroit, but he was in Hershey for quite a while and working with him. That helped me a lot. And I think it helped those guys too. And also Scotty Murray, who's with the Capitals. Um, I worked, he was with me my first year in Hershey and then up in Washington as well. And he's, he was another guy who was really big for me, helping develop my game. But I think also, as you can see, those other guys obviously benefit, benefited from them as well. So I think, you know, it speaks to the goalie coaches. And um, and then in, when I was in Chicago, we had Ty Conklin there who was helping uh, oh, yeah. Bennington and Huso and myself. So um, that was, I think it just kind of speaks to the coaching. And then, you know, we were all pushing each other, trying during ice time. So all of those guys and myself, I think just, pushing each other and, and the coaching helped us uh, have more success. Do you, do you ever get asked for like a scouting report on goalies that you've played with before? Say you're going up against someone like Huso or Bennington, who, you know, you know, well, do, do your teammates ever ask for some tips on how to beat them? Um, Not so much in the NHL. I feel like they do a pretty good job of, of pre-scouting at the NHL level. Sometimes in the American League, like if we're playing against someone I've played with or or I know, then I'll get some questions like, where can I shoot? You know, what's what's his weakness? Um, but uh, yeah, they do a pretty good job at the NHL level, like giving out a good pre-scout on all the other players. So you just signed the contract extension. You signed for one year and a, and a million five through next season. Why was this the right time for that? Was it just a matter of being comfortable and when to build off it, or like, is there was there any particular, is there anything to read into with the with with the timing there? Um, I mean, not really necessarily with the timing. I think you know they they came to me with an offer, and um, I was very happy because it's a great organization. Like I said, they they want to win. They're doing the right things. Um, so you know, they, I knew right away I wanted to be here, so it was just a matter. of, working through that and um, I was happy to to resign here and I'm happy to be a part of what's going on here and I want to uh, be a part and, and play my part in, in uh, the process that's going on here so um, I'm excited uh, the timing wasn't really not much to read into I don't think it just kind of when it happened so did, is being in LA helped helped with uh, athletes apothecary at all with the <laughs> with the with the t- with with the tea and hyd- hydration business is is that th- there been any uptick there s- since you've taken over? Um, yeah, I mean it's we started that about a year and a half ago. Athletes apothecary is the company that my fiance and I started um, about a year and a half ago. Um, but it's just been kind of steadily growing. We've had more interest, and um, we mostly do teas. We have a couple superfood blends as well. Um, 
but yeah, and I, I've had teammates in Hershey that are still using it that, that really like it. And then uh, some guys here have tried it and like it. I've, I've tried not to really push on guys too much because it's yeah. kind of something that I think, you know, if, if you're into teas and, and that kind of thing, um, it's awesome. I, um, when we were in Pennsylvania, my fiance and I were going to farmer's markets and kind of making our own tea blends from ingredients we were getting there. And I started to realize that it was it was pretty beneficial. It was helping me with my sleep. It was helping me stay hydrated. So we started to do some research on different herbs and fruits and spices that you can mix into teas and, and the effect they'll have as far as recovery and hydration and sleep. And so, um, yeah, we were like, well, this is kind of cool. We can probably help a lot more people with this. So we decided to make a company and we got in touch with a nutritionist who helped us finalize more of the blends and, and make them more of what we were looking for. And, uh, yeah, so that, that's up and going and it's been good. Definitely. I guess LA is probably a, a good spot, but as far as that goes, but, um, for me, it's just kind of, it's kind of like a hobby thing and my fiance runs it on the day to day during the season. Um, but yeah, if, if, if you're interested in that kind of stuff, athletesapothecary.com, um, we have some pretty good t if, if you're interested in that. That's great. Yeah. I was reading up on it. Hydration, recovery. Those are all the so- sorts of things you need when you're a starting goaltender in February <laughs> yeah. in, in, in the NHL season. Right. So thank, thanks for the time, man. Good luck the rest of the way out and uh, we'll get, catch up with you down the road. Sounds good. Thank you guys. I appreciate it. I'm officially a Phoenix Copley fan. I, 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 before I wanted them to add somebody, add a running mate for him, just turn over the net to him, let him roll, let Why him not? cook. That would be kind of fun, like the end of an era of, you know, Jonathan Quick, and now you have, it's Copley's reign. Alaskan goalies out here thriving. Vamilka Corpusalo, you guys stay home. <laughs> this, is, this is this is Phoenix's net. We'll be right back with, uh, with a third segment and our look at the updated trade board on the Athletics NHL site. This is typically the only good segment on the show. The way it works usually is Craig and I go into the comments section and pick off fun things or useful things or nasty things that you folks say about us. Craig isn't here, though. So all the segments are good, including this one. It's inaccurate to say, so we're taking a different route. Trade deadline week, we're three days out. Like I said earlier, we have a new trade board on the site. It's time to... We'll start at the top. We'll go down. We'll pick out some names. We won't focus on Patrick Kane all that much because we know <laughs> at some point, maybe it after business closes today, maybe <laughs> it's gonna happen. I don't know. Okay, well, you know, whatever. Let's just let's let's start with number one. We got we got Miss Rangers on the on the show. Where are you at with the with the Kane to New York stuff? Has anything changed for you over the last couple of days? I okay. If I'm the Rangers and I judge things on vibes alone, I do wonder if <laughs> it's like a bad omen. Like these defensemen are falling over. Like, please don't, please don't do this. Ryan Lindgren's hurt. Andrew Miller might be suspended. And like, like Braden, Braden Schneider looking just completely lost on the bench a couple of days ago. Ryan Carpenter out there for thirteen <laughs> seconds just to go from the penalty box back to the bench. Like, I don't know. I I see why they're doing it, and if it's for a low enough price, it makes sense. And they're trying to just like go balls to the wall this year. And why yeah. not? They need right wingers. Uh, is their defense going to be good? No, it's already kind of struggling, and it's going to be bad. So that's it's a decision. But if you can score a bunch of goals and have Shostak in a net, you can like go with that kind of vibe. Um, mm-hmm. But I just I just look at this and I'm like, maybe someone's trying to tell you something. Be careful what you ask for. <laughs> yeah. 
anytime James Nol- James Dolan is like behind a move, you 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 really got to go all in on it. That's what yeah. I say. James Dolan wants it to happen. Great, let's go. Primo entertainment value, but yeah, I, whatever. The the cost is going to be, you know, they're even though Kane isn't what he was and he's having a weird season, they're 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 gonna they're gonna acquire him for nickels on the dollar. Yeah. Vladislav, <laughs> Vladislav <laughs> Gavrikov, still in Columbus, still presumably pissed off because he he hasn't he he didn't land with Boston. We all know what happened there. Aaron Portsline covered that really well. The you know failed failed attempt to connect for for Columbus and Boston on a deal there got screwed over by Orlov and Hathaway. Um, Shana, tell me what Vladislav Gavrikov is good at. <laughs> He's not as okay. He's not great, but he's not terrible. I think his environment and his role has been the killer for him because I think as the Blue Jackets defense has been depleted by like losing Seth Jones and also just being, they're the Columbus Broken Jackets. They just, everybody's hurt all the time. It puts more strain on his game, but I do think he is that one dimensional shutdown defenseman who's very physical. Um, He'll probably be better somewhere else. We see that all the time. Teams, you know, players go to better teams, a better system, more support. They're asked to do less, and it's fine for them. That could be the case here. But now I do wonder if he's, like, not going to be that prime overpay candidate we expected him to be, like, the Benchurad of this year's deadline. Mm-hmm. But is he, like, amazing, going to thread the needle for a team? Probably not. We've already talked about Jacob Chikrin enough. That's situation's been going on for years. Matias Ekholm is number four. I think he... He's a little bit more interesting now than he was a couple of days ago because of what we've seen out of Nashville over the last few days, which is David Poyle retiring, Barry Trotz taking over, and then pulling off a major heist for for Tanner Janot. You, you got to wonder, you know, if that signals an appetite to move on from a player who's a little bit more of a foundational piece for them, like over the last over the last however many years. It's interesting. A player um, who developed so well under Trotz too, like. Mm-hmm. That's the see. That's the that that's that's kind of the interesting one to me. I think I think that's an that's an important thing to consider. Is like how involved is Barry Trotz in, in this decision making process? Probably probably significantly, right? You're right. not going to go out and trade a player that Barry Trotz. You know, if if he's got to have some amount of overrule power uh, on on stuff like this. Ekholm is one of the guys that he's that he has a lot of affection for and won a lot of games with. So. And there's and there are pl- there's guys like that on on the roster still at the top of it, so that'll be interesting. We'll 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 see how Barry Trotz approaches you know a rebuild job in Nashville that involves players who helped win him games when he was when he was the coach of that team. That's interesting. Yeah, after Poyle uh, didn't step back at all the last couple, of, like that's it. It sucks for Trotz though. Like yeah, it's here's brutal. the shit you're going to be left with of my mess that I elongated instead of doing something proactive totally. years ago. And he could have looked at him and been like, well, I know I'm retiring, so I want to go mm-hmm. for it every year. But, like, that sucks for Trotz. That was the only reason that we d- we knew that wherever Barry ended up, he was going to have some degree of say in player personnel. He, we talked about that with him in January. Craig and I did, right? The question for me, it, it, as far as a reunion with Nashville was concerned, was, like, is, was Poyle ever going to actually retire? Because like it, he this this should have been in the works for a while. Given, you know, the their the last couple years for them has been trying to just wring wring the juice out of the rag, right? Like there's just not there's not there's not that <laughs> much there. <laughs> it's 
it's the it's the way it goes, right? How can so, UC Soros save us in the second half of the season? And this year he's saving them the whole first half and it's not enough. Like, what are you going to do? Like, oh my God, uh, Philip Forsberg, please, please sign with us. Please sign with us. Please resign with us. Like that's what that's what the entire that's what the entire last you know calendar year felt like for them. So here we are. It'll be interesting to see if they if they go fully into into rebuild mode because I'm not, I'm not sure that's you know that's we know that's on the table less for markets like Nashville and Tampa and in Carolina, right? Because a they're successful to to begin with, but b you. You don't you don't want to go three or four or five years in a in a market like that without with it without having a competitive team. So yeah, and they have like if you look at it too, like they're in an interesting position because they have a core piece at each position. They have Phil Forsberg; he's on a good mm-hmm. contract. They have mm-hmm. Roman Yossi on a good contract. They have UC Saros. Like, do you, if you're rebuilding, you have no reason to keep any of them because by the time you're good, they're not going to be totally. what you want them to be. But they're your core piece at each position. I feel like when we look at rebuilding teams, it's like. Their defense is, you look at St. Louis, their defense, absolute dog shit. There's nothing redeemable about it at this point that you're like, nope. you need to do something. Or you look at what the Rangers when they rebuilt, like they had amazing goaltending. That's it. Now Nashville's mm-hmm. like, but we have one thing at each position to be our like foundational piece. But can you turn it around that quick when you don't have as many pieces to move out like St. Louis just did? Like, that's the challenge. You're going to have to move players with term and you might have to use a young player like Fabro, which I don't think you want to do, but you might have to. Yep. In a perfect world, they would just trade all those guys. Honestly, they would. Yep. They would hit, hit. They would hit the button and, and trade anything that wasn't nailed down, including Soros and including Yossi. I don't think that's an option for them. No. Nope. But we shall. We shall see. <clears throat> Can James Van Reems like bring anything to the middle six of a half decent team in twenty twenty three? Yes, he's, a he's lot. number. He, he's number five on on the board. He's a lot better than his team. It's another player that we're going to be like, well, the environment, well, this. He is still a good net front presence. He's still good at generating shots. He's still good in the quality areas. He can be a net front role, even if not on power play one on a contender, because we assume that mm-hmm. they're pretty deep. Power play two, like, there's value for him here, for sure. And, like, Winnipeg made sense, and now they're kind of out of it. There are definite teams that could use more scoring. So, Yes, but Absolutely. the contract is huge and there's going to be a lot of salary retention to make that work for most teams. One year left at $7 million is the hit. that can get, The Flyers alone can get that down to $3.5 million. James Van Riem's like, as a rental of $3.5 million is very, very interesting. And I think there are teams out there that haven't yet made a move or maybe whiffed on Meyer that would be wise uh, to take a look at him. Nick Schmaltz is like the er, is is the big riser here because I don't think I don't think people uh, I, I mean that's that was new news of the last week was that um, his name had kind of been kicked around maybe maybe with Carolina you know whatever what what kind of players Nick Schmaltz and you know should should a team is he worth packaging up a bunch of assets? for on February 28th versus the summer. I think that's the question with Nick Smaltz. Is he is he a trade deadline acquisition or is he an off-season ac- acquisition? It's going to be interesting to see. Yeah, that's a good question to ask because it's not like the difference of one or two playoff rounds. Like he's going to mm-hmm. he's signed long-term and if you're Arizona, mm-hmm. like you, your core players are not your core players. They're trade pieces. Mm-hmm. Everybody's a, co- a trade piece. But if you move Schmaltz, you should move Keller too. Just keep tearing it down and figure out what the hell you're doing because clearly Nobody knows, including you. Like he's he's a good 
player. He can play wing. He can play center. We like versatility and contenders. We see absolutely love to have that versatility. You can mix and match your lines any way you want. You look at like St. Louis last year, they were like the perfect example of you could have a million centers and look how many different variations of your lines you can do. But he is very much a complimentary piece. He's not your number one play driver. He is not your elite talent, but he's a very good complimentary piece. You just have to deal with the contract and everything. And I don't see Arizona wanting to retain a ton of salary on it, right? Like they don't want that problem, even though they, as it stands next year are set to be $15 million below the cap floor, I believe. And that's before moving Chick Grinch Schmaltz or anyone else. So mm-hmm. that's a weird one. Mm-hmm. Seven's John Klinberg. We've talked about him enough. Eight is Luke Shen. We've talked about him enough. Max, did, see, this is this is where the trades of the last of the last uh, couple weeks really start to make their presence felt. You have Max Domi at nine, not a great situation. Brock Besser, Nick Bukestead, Adam Henrique, even though he's hurt. Carson Soucy. Um, is he? He's a player who you have some. You 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 have you have thoughts on Carson Soucy, right? I, I've I've seen you I've seen you write about him. Uh, and I think given his profile and where he plays and really his career up to this point, I don't think, I don't think a lot of people out there have like firm ideas on what kind of player he is, what kind of stuff he brings to the game. And, you know, he's, you know, again, 13th on on the trade board after not being ranked. So what, what, what kind of players Carson Susie? Tell us something there. Yeah, he's a good player. And I think that he's someone that can add a little bit of like puck movement from the blue line. And it feels like in Seattle, he kind of lost that chance because Vince Dunn's thriving and they brought in Justin Schultz and that obviously hurts his chances of quarterbacking a power play unit or something like that. Like, I feel like on a contender, he would be good on, you know, a bottom four. He'd be good on power play too. Why not? He's not in his 30s. He's not at the downswing of his career. Like he's in a good position right now. And he doesn't have a ton of NHL wear and tear on him either that I think teams should like he's probably not exhausted before the playoffs even start <laughs> I, I would be tired if i if i was an nhl that's playing like gabrikov's minutes at this point i would just be exhausted like once you block a shot i'm laying there i'm not getting up so you see you might not have that problem that's great all right so we're let's just we got a couple more minutes left before we really start to go along here i'm gonna go down the board when i come to a player that you want to say something about just, just, just hit me with it. We can, we, we can skip most of these guys. Is Kevin there anyone Hayes. you want? <laughs> yeah, I'll, 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 I'll speak up here. Okay. Four, 14, Kevin Hayes. Uh, <laughs> still in, contract. still in John Tortorella's doghouse, <laughs> maybe, uh, and still makes a gazillion dollars. Tough, tough call there. You got like, Kevin Hayes has to have money retained by a second team for, for me to even. Yeah consider it right yeah you you have to that is uh that's a huge contract and i like him as a player i think i mean we knew it was an overpayment mm-hmm. at the time though he was yeah. never going to be that that caliber player that he got paid to be so it's a, that's it's a, fun. you you had a good year and we have money to spend contract yep lars eller should get the capital of something you know he's he's hit hit the skids over the last couple of years because he's 33 with you know city miles on him because the dude plays hard and he's played for a long time but wins face-offs he can kill penalties he's expiring contract he's big he won a cup like whatever he's um he's a guy who you know could easily see some team throw a third round pick at the at, at the caps who needs some center depth uh for for the stretch run there but he's but he but he's boring it's Lars Eller. you know he's 
competent and fine and whatever. But you know, is he is he uh, is is he worth getting excited over? I don't no. think so. No. Goss Bear. Where is Shane Goss Bear at in the year of our Lord twenty twenty three? Because I feel like he's been out of sight, out of mind for a lot of people in Arizona over, over the last couple of years. Is he worth acquiring for a playoff caliber team? What does he, what would he bring to like the? I know everyone's connecting the Oilers with him, but what what does he bring to a good team? Not just the Coyotes where he's racking up points because someone has to score them, right? <laughs> Even the worst teams have to score goals. That's true for Sam. It was true for Sam Lafferty, whatever. Like Does everybody they have needs to score go- goals. They can be bottom. <laughs> I guess I just, <laughs> that is true. You you could you can just go zero zero zeros across the board. Yeah, why not? I don't know, man. I watched I watched Rico Fada score twenty goals for the for the Pittsburgh Penguins in two thousand three. <laughs> someone's 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 got to do it. But Gosses Bear, what what's the what's to like about him at, at this point in his career? He's a player that more teams should have been willing to take a risk mm-hmm. on when he hit waivers, but everyone oh, saw him yeah. fall out of favor with the Flyers. Yeah. It's it's this like group think among general managers. Like if you don't like him and you think he's bad and you don't want to have him, why would we want to have him? Philadelphia like, knows him better than ever, than anybody else. So yep, you know, and and they didn't want to have him around. So how good could he be? Yeah, exactly. When yep. he's good, and I think Arizona is a tough team to be good on. You can easily fall behind and you have no support, and the team sucks, mm-hmm. and you're just gonna suck back there with them. And instead, he's <laughs> actually been proactively good. Like I I don't know. He's he's a good player to have. Like. You look at the, everybody wants defense. Everyone wants depth on their blue line. Then go for someone like this. This is, I think, how you keep up. He, I think he has like the ability to keep pace with some of the yep. best teams. And the best teams outside of the Bruins, do you look at it and go, they're big and bad? You're, you know, you still have the big bad Bruins, even though they're a lot more offensive and, you know, speedy than they were in years past. But like, this is, this is what you need. You look at the past champions, their cores were very good. They were very fast teams. Like, you need someone who can keep up with that and not just keep up with it by throwing their bodies across the ice and hoping they stop a puck. Four and a half million dollars expiring deal. Interesting. Interesting, interesting, interesting. Nick Jensen, solid player, has been has been for has been for years now, I feel like. There's a, a few years where where he's been an, he's been an underrated, kind of undervalued contributor as a middle, middle th- like third pair defenseman, right? Yeah. We like him. Right handed. Everyone loves a right-handed defenseman. Mm-hmm. Why not? Connor Sherry, depth forward, who, who can score some goals. Matt Dumba, who's just, he's going to be on the trade board for forever. He's been there for five years, I feel like. Joel Edmondson, we know, you know, he if, he's, if he could have kept it together physically over the last month or so, he would have brought Montreal something nice, but he's got one more year and he's really banged up, so it'll be interesting to see what, if anything, happens with him. Talked about Dante Fabro a little bit before. Cam Talbot is the top ranked goalie on our on our trade board at twenty two. Is that is that is interesting to me because I I don't know if given given the choice of some of the names that we've seen we know we know Columbus is desperately trying to say maybe not desperately but they want to move Jonas Corposalo right he's yep. he's been good we know that Arizona could be in discussions about Vamelka whatever. I, Cam Talbot as as the top goalie on the board is interesting to me. What do you think? Yeah, it's Cam Talbot's a really interesting one because like I think we've gotten a good sample of him on two totally different teams. You could look at what he did in Minnesota last year, and that was on one of the best defensive teams, and it was his mm-hmm. worst year yet with them. And you look at him in Ottawa, now you have one of the worst defensive teams that faces a you know high volume of shots against, high volume of quality chances against, and he hasn't been as good there either. 
I think mm-hmm. we've seen his game decline, unfortunately, in recent years. So that's a tough one. But the one yep. thing that I wonder if playoff teams would like about him is that he's moved at the deadline before. So mm-hmm. we know, and we talked about this that's with Copley, really tough to adjust midseason to a new team. Only so much you can do. Even less time to do it at the deadline, especially if you're a backup. How many times are you actually going to get in action between the deadline and season's end? So, like, I get mm-hmm. the concern and why teams are struggling to figure out what to do with their goaltending. And Talbot's been there before. He's been in that position. So maybe that's the saving grace. Like, mm-hmm. But at this point, if I'm a team that wants a goaltender, maybe I look at Reimer, who's been performing better behind a bad mm-hmm. team. And I definitely am looking at Vimelka, who is one of the best this year at managing chaos in front of him. Totally. Corpusella, too. 9.13 save percentage. He's 16th in the league in goal saved above expected. 28 years old, $1.5 million contract expiring after the season. He would he would be an option too. And he is actually 25th on the on the trade board. So he, he does he does get some love from from our from our guys there. The last two non-Corpusalo names here are Dmitry Kulikov and Jordan Greenway, which are, you know, uh those guys, those guys those they hit people, right? Kulikov's <laughs> Kulikov's physical, Greenway's Greenway's huge and physical, but you know, those are those are niche players who you know may maybe move and maybe not the, yeah. those are those are the guys who are going to be re- that's going to be like the flurry of trades that hits at 258 or whatever on friday where we try to dredge up opinions about dimitri kulikov getting <laughs> traded for a six-round pick or whatever i don't care yeah don't we've care. seen him move at the deadline before we'll just recycle from the past greenway is the interesting one because he is younger mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. maybe he has upside that the wild didn't find but like not for nothing. And this, I don't mean to be super insulting towards him. Jordan, I know you're listening. I apologize. Um, but <laughs> big like, fan, Jordan Greenway. Big fan. You know, he is. He was the weakest member of their amazing line. Felino mm-hmm. is so good and he has more offensive upside. Plus, absolute, absolutely elite defensively and he's physical. Eric Sinek is a pain in the ass to play against. Really hard-nosed. Absolutely, you know, elite defensively and he's really good offensively and he has the scoring touch too like he's put it all together in the right way Greenway's the one that kind of like lags behind that so if you're thinking well we want to have a line like the wild did sure but you're picking go out and get the other two guys yeah which you're not gonna get so find your own that's the thing like with Tampa we talk about like Coleman Goudreau it's Find your own. Find your own uh-huh. version of that. Don't overpay for the version that's no, already overpay been there. for someone else's depth. That's yeah. the big lesson here. That's that's the thing. That's the thing that we've learned. Go for Taylor Greenway. Radish instead for cheap. Go for someone like that. Greenway. <sighs> that, that would be selling low on him. I feel like two goals, four assists this season. Two years left at three million, but he's got the he's got the size, and he's got the physical the physical profile where it's like it kind of works both ways. You're like, maybe, maybe some team falls in love with it and is willing to pay for him in a cor- in accordance with the guy he, who he was, you know, last season. But man, I don't know. Yeah. If, he, if the he, wild he feels, sell low enough, guy, you hold on. which maybe mm-hmm. if they need cap, well, they don't, they have cap this year. That's the thing. They have the cap space this year mm-hmm. to do whatever they want. They don't have to sell anyone this year. It's the long-term stuff, but like they need a center. Mm-hmm. They really need a center. I don't see him bringing back a center unless it's him. Plus something, maybe a high pick. I don't know. Let's do it. Whenever. Sure. Let's make a trade. 
they really needed Marco Rossi to to to, to level up. It's been they really needed been, to give Marco Rossi a chance to level up, though. Oh, so. Here we go. <laughs> oh, spicy! I like it. Shannon, thank you for being here. This was fun. Thanks for having before, me. Before b- before we go, AEW Revolution thoughts. Um. I just feel like they need to work on the pacing of a pay-per-view. This is like my biggest gripe with them. I think WWE underwhelms me with the pace and AEW is just like shouting wrestling matches at you for like six hours straight and you can't mm-hmm. breathe. But I'm, I am a broken record. I'd like to see another women's match. I would like to see Tony Storm in a women's match, maybe Tony versus Britt. Like that's how I think you sell me on it. Cause I like some of the other matches that they have and you know, I'm, solidly excited but i i just need i need the women to not be at the afterthought like you see a poster every dynamite and it's like here is all the men and then the women are in the corner and it's like here's nine minutes with two picture in pictures of a women's match let's take a percentage chance that mjf loses the loses the brian danielson in, in the in the main event there absolutely none none no. zero zero literal, mathematical zero mathematical okay. zero this is this is his reign of terror and we love it for him and i it's nice to see him get in a big match because i think you could argue pet like kenny omega had banger after banger and that was amazing for him hangman i think people might be upset at the number of matches but the matches he did were such high quality we love hangman page in this house um <laughs> he's like my he's my favorite He's, um, he's he's fun. Him and Kenny are my favorite. And, he's know. like former former journalism professor, I think, or something. He 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 was he was some kind of comms guy in a, in a, in a past wonderful. life, Hangman. He's totally wonderful. But we we support Hangman Page on this podcast, and we support chaotic moves at the NHL trade trade deadline. So we'll see what happens over over the next few days. Exactly, Jaina. Thank you. Tomorrow, Rob Pizzo, Michael Russo, and Jesse Granger welcome Devils GM Tom Fitzgerald to the Wednesday Roundtable. Round That's going to be interesting. Big couple of days for Tom. Also on Friday, Ian Mendez and Haley Salvian host a live and interactive trade deadline recap show starting at 2.30 p.m. on the Athletic Hockey Show YouTube channel and Facebook and Twitter. Also, I think I'm going to get roped into doing something there. That might not be a way to sell it, so just whatever. Focus on Ian and Haley. We'll do a great job. Also, the Tuesday Boys return next week. Hashtag Tuesday Boys 3Zs. Me and Craig are going to be back. Pierre Lebron's going to join us for a wrap of the 2023 NHL trade deadline. This is going to be the third year in a row I think we've done this, and Pierre's always Pierre's always in, in rare form on those. Totally worth it. In, in honor of Craig, Happy New Year. In honor of myself. Bye. Have a good week. Enjoy the deadline. We'll talk to you in a few days.